Welcome back to the Someone to Tell It To You podcast. We can't say this enough, but we really do uh, mean this very, very seriously. We appreciate each and every one of you tuning in each and every episode and asking us questions. We've been asked in the last couple weeks just a lot of questions about some of our most recent episodes, and we just love that. We love to enter into dialogue with you to know that some of the things that our guests are talking about are connecting with you. So please continue that uh, info at someone to tell to you.org. You can reach out to us in that way. And uh, we'd just love to hear from you. This episode, an, another rich, rich episode with deep meaning. We talked about matters of faith and religion and fear and vulnerability. Masculinity. Yeah. Um, and openness uh, compassion, care. Uh, we just were all this, over the place. Yeah, this episode this just had it all. Yeah, it really did. And it was uh, just so easy to, and, and we hope conversational. And this is one of the first times that a guest actually asked us questions too uh, because there are things that he wanted to he wanted to know about us. And um, th- that was fun, fun as well. And this is what uh, it says on Anthony Johnson's website about himself. My name is Anthony Johnson. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and I've always had a passion for helping others. I'm a proud father of two with 17 years of military experience. My goal is to continue to grow personally while helping as many people as I can thrive along the way. Life and leadership can be quite challenging. My services are designed to help you overcome those challenges while assisting you or your organization in reaching maximum growth potential. For years, I have been speaking in schools and to the military, along with coaching youth football and mentoring as well. What sets me apart is my genuine approach that will be personalized for you or your organization. I treat everyone I encounter with care and compassion. Please allow me to be a part of your journey to growth and success. And indeed, um, he is genuine. And we know you're going to enjoy this conversation today. Anthony, as we start today, we would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your story and some of the pivotal moments that have helped define who you are today. You know, I'll start by just saying, you know, I'm from Buffalo, New York. Um, I currently live in West Virginia. Um, you know, I'm from a rough area in, on the east side of Buffalo, New York. And, you know, 18 years, 18 plus years of military experience, some in the Army, some in the Air Force, as an enlisted member and an officer. And I think one of the, my first pivotal moment that comes to mind is in the military. And, you know, it has to do with me being in the military. And before I came an officer in the Army, I was in ROTC at WVU. And I had to pass combat water survival. I didn't graduate undergrad until I was 27. I started school in 2001 as a freshman. I left and went back home to New York to help my mom out. And then I went back to school um, after Hurricane Katrina. I have to pass combat water survival to become an officer in the Army. And I don't know how to swim. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my senior year of college. I had 18 credits. I was... Um, taking care of my younger brother who I took in as a, as his legal guardian. He was going to high school in Morgantown, Morgantown high. I was working a job as a waiter. Uh, 
I was the battalion commander for WVU ROTC, student commander. And, and I ran a mentor program for high school kids. And I had to pass combat water survival. So I would get up every morning, you know, early, and I would go to the rec center before class, and I would teach myself how to swim. Hmm. And, you know, to this day, I would say that's in the top three most difficult things I've ever done is pass combat water survival. It, it was easy for a lot of people because they knew how to swim. Hmm. <laughs> but for me, to tread water for five minutes was the most tiring, one of the most tiring things I've ever done in my life. To swim continuously for 10 minutes without stopping is very difficult for me. So that was a pivotal moment for me because I knew that in my life, I was going to do whatever it took. I was always willing to do whatever it took to get to where I wanted to go. And that stayed with me throughout my life that no matter what, I'm going to do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter. I've had my ups and downs and it's ebbed and flow where I've been productive and not so productive, but I've always been wanting to do whatever it takes. The other pivotal moment that comes to mind is when I had my first child and, you know, when I became a father, that was the beginning of me being dedicated to my personal growth and development. Like before I was just kind of floating through life. I kind of didn't care about relationships or, you know, certain things I, and necessarily I wasn't dedicated to my personal growth and development, but when I had children, that was the beginning of that journey. Um, so those two moments, I would say very pivotal for me in my life. As you were just describing, uh, swimming, something that you didn't, you, you didn't know about, you'd never been taught. Maybe you could take us back a little bit to your childhood and, and perhaps why you didn't learn how to swim, but it's, it's deeper than just not learning how to swim. Right. I, I didn't have a whole lot of mentoring, um, not in a good way. Uh, I had, I saw examples around me, uh, but you know, not necessarily as good mentors. That was just something we didn't do. Like growing up on the east side of Buffalo, we didn't go to the pool. We didn't learn how to swim. And, and when we did, the rare times we did go to the pool, we were in the pool playing. Nobody was te- trying to teach us how to swim. We were just in the shallow end having a good time. <laughs> it wasn't about learning how to swim. Um, and I guess that is a was a theme in my in my childhood was that nobody teaching me the skills that I needed to progress in my life. So you can take that and, and, and relate it to so many other areas. Even if somebody would take me to the pool, they weren't teaching me how to swim. They weren't teaching me how to survive in water. And that was a common theme throughout my childhood with the situations I was in in my life. Nobody teaching me how to navigate through them successfully. Yeah. When we first connected with you a few weeks ago, we talked a lot about fear. What have you learned just about vulnerability, especially as a black male, and how vulnerability has helped you overcome some of these fears? You know, in my community that I grew up in, vulnerability is not an admired thing. When it comes to vulnerability and overcoming fears, you know, one of the things that I do in one of my workshops is I talk a lot about vulnerability and I talk to you guys about how I love Brene Brown. And that's one of my, one of my favorite books that she's written is the power of vulnerability. I think a common misconception about vulnerability is that we have to trust people before we can be vulnerable with them. But when really vulnerability precedes trust, right? When we can be vulnerable, like we, the first time we spoke, we were all vulnerable with each other and it was an amazing thing. It made for such an amazing conversation. And then once we become vulnerable with each other, then we can begin to trust that this is how we operate. One of the things, like I said, growing up where I grew up, 
you don't trust people. Vulnerability taught me that that was a, a, a belief I had in my mind that was false, that I couldn't trust people. And then when I started to surround myself with different people, with, with better people, with, with people that had better character and integrity, I learned that when I was vulnerable, I could trust them. So that related and, and transferred over to other areas of my life that now I have to start questioning the things that I believe. And you know what? I can't trust people. I can't be vulnerable with people and, and people that are going to make me feel safe and not take advantage of that. And that helped me overcome these fears of, you know, I'm not going to be able to trust. I'm not going to be able to do this or do that. And, and that was a big step to that. So many of the people that we listen to can't trust They've been hurt so many times because they maybe they have been vulnerable. The, their vulnerability has been met with judgment, or derision, or rejection. You know, you can name all the all bad things that happen. As you became more vulnerable and you know, tried to be as open as you can with people, how much of that did you run up against derision and judgment and ridicule? Did you experience before you? found some people who could be trusted. It's funny you ask that because it's all about who you surround yourself with. And I, what I found was that there wasn't as much ridicule as I thought there was going to be. Okay. You know, these fears, these, these limiting beliefs that we have, mm-hmm. they're all in our mind. And because it may have happened once or, you know, a couple of times in our life, we think that this is how it's, this is how it's going to be. The more I was vulnerable, the more I realized that what I believed wasn't true, that people were going to be opening and welcoming to me being vulnerable and that they were that I actually opened the door for them to do the same. Because it was a it was a fear that they had. Mm-hmm. They see me do it and they see us do it and they see other people do it. And they're like, you know what, this is actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. And this is going to help build it and strengthen relationships. So I didn't receive as much pushback on that as I thought. And that's what made that's what made it so powerful. And that's what made me like, okay, I have to continue doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we spoke last, I referenced a book called Love is Letting Go of Fear. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think for Michael and I, as as males, we just needed to be reminded that we're going to be loved no matter what we share and Mm -hmm. who we're vulnerable with. Not everybody's going to treat you with love, but there are people that are trustworthy. And you have to keep, keep being vulnerable and, and putting yourself out there. I'm reminded of the poet Maya Angelou, who we love to quote, and she would always say, you have to trust and love one more time and one more time and one more time. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about what our motives are mm-hmm. and if our motives are pure. So even if when I decide to be vulnerable and when I decide to love, I'm doing it because it's what I want to do. And it's because I would like it to be reciprocated, but I can't, the reason why I do it can't be contingent on the outcome, right? It's because I know it's the right thing to do. And I know it opens doors for other people. So even if I'm vulnerable with somebody, or if I decide to love somebody and they betray that love and that trust and that vulnerability, then I have to figure out how I overcome that. I can't dwell and be like, you know what? I shouldn't know. I know I shouldn't have been vulnerable with you. I knew I shouldn't have loved you. I knew I shouldn't have trusted you. No. <laughs> I wasn't doing it because I needed a specific result. I was doing it because this is who I am. And this is how I want to operate as a person. And if it backfires on me, then it's a chance for me. It's a chance and an opportunity for me to learn and for me to grow. 
And, it, and whether that sounds cliche or not, it's the truth. I'm not going to let how anybody else behaves change who I want to be. There's a lot of ways that we could probably define listening. Um, but one of the ways that we often define it is that listening is the desire to know and be known. And so we want to know you and we want to be known ourselves. I think at, at our core, all of us want that. And one of the things we've already valued about you right out of the gate is just your willingness to be vulnerable yourself and then also just wanting to know us. I mean, even in our two-hour conversation from a few weeks ago, you just asked us a lot of deep, mm -hmm. thought, thoughtful questions. And you had just had an earnest to know us. And we love that about you. And you had said, you had used this example that you were in a club recently and, and you were on a date, if we're remembering correctly, if you're willing to share that and, and how you're just over the loud music asking deep questions of this girl. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago. Like that was, a, that was a few years, that was years ago when I met my current girlfriend, like we, when we met for the first time. And, and so, and I'm going to have, I want to follow this up with a question for you guys. So I can put you on a hot seat. I like said the, <laughs> the willingness to know you, right? Cause I want to know some things about you as well. But that, that moment, yeah, we, I went, we went, I was in Canada and we went to a club with, you know, me and the fellows went to a club and I met this girl and, and we just, I'm, we're on the dance floor above the loud music and I'm asking her about her job and like, you know, she's a therapist. And, you know, with their own practice. And I'm like, you know, well, what's the best and the worst part about being a therapist? And we're in a club talking about, <laughs> you know, what's the best and worst part about your, your occupation? And, you know, she, and her response was, you know, that I remember her response. And we were talking about this recently. Actually, it's funny. <clears throat> she said that she loves helping people, but she hates charging them for it. Mm. You know, that immediately was her response to that was something that immediately drew drew me towards her and like we didn't get in a relationship till years later to just recently and from the moment i met her and asked her that question and her response i'm you know i knew there was something special about her so yeah i'm like i'm like let's go let's get in a deep conversation right away like forget this small talk stuff <laughs> like, so you um, uh you instantly recognize that her motives were good ones <laughs> yeah, her, her motives for wanting to be a therapist and help people were pure yeah yep. right um and so now I get to ask you guys a question, you know, <laughs> your podcast. Well, we, we, you know, um, we, we can edit things out, too. We just want know, you to we're, know. So we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, like, now I get, to, I get to practice my podcast. Now I'm, All I'm right, go ahead. go ahead. I got my whole background and everything ready to go. Now, welcome to my podcast, Journey Through the Fall. Um, now we, <laughs> so what we're going to ask you guys, because in our first conversation, we talked about um, and this is something I've always been interested in, just, just people's relationship with God and religion. And, um, and you know, and while we're on the topics of pure motives, how, one of the things you mentioned was that you, you decided to step away, uh, you know, or kind of separate yourselves a little bit, if I'm correct, from organized religion. And I wanted to hear, you know, your, your reasoning behind that and, and why you feel like it, it was important for you um, to do that, to step away and what value that has added, if any? That's a pretty deep question. And mm -hmm. it, it, I, I would think, I think I can answer for both of us this, this part of it. It has added tremendous value yeah. uh, to our lives and to our work. Abs absolutely. 
So, so there's that. And I'll tell you a little bit about my background, my story. Uh, and there are probably there are two reasons why I stepped away f- out of the church professionally. Hmm. Uh, number one was was um, because of my family. First, first there was that. I I, um, I have a son who has um, uh, severe uh, intellectual disabilities and autism, and the, the the attention and care that he needed needs is pretty is pretty significant. And, and in the church system, we, we are often moved. You know, we don't always get to stay for long periods of time, you know, in the church where we are. And we had a pretty good system with school for our son and care for him and supports. Um, and to move would mean we'd lose all that and have to start all over again. So there yeah. was that. And also my wife uh, was having some significant health problems. Uh, diabetes, and then she was ultimately diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, I could see the toll of caring for our son on her. It was taking a, it was taking a heavy toll on her, yeah. and, and that was affecting her health. And so I, need, so I knew that I needed to be more, more present and have more time to, to be able to take my share of, of caring for him more than, than sometimes I could in the church because of all the meetings and all the, all the attention I needed to give to other people and, and, and other responsibilities. So there was that, that personal uh, family motive. But secondly, the church can be very bureaucratic. Mm. And the church can be very, there, again, a lot of meetings that sometimes don't go anywhere a lot of meetings that don't produce much action and a lot of meetings where you hear the same thing over and over and over again, every single meeting and not much changes. And, and sometimes in the church we were limited with limited from the people we really wanted to meet. You know, everybody I knew at least was part of the church, but there's a whole lot of other people, a growing lot of other people who are outside the church, who are not being heard, not being listened to, not being supported. And um, I felt a need to be able to reach people like that as well, which it was very difficult in the church to do that. And it, it was inhibiting to really care for people, which was the reason that I wanted to be a pastor, uh, not because of the bureaucratic part of it, not because of the management part of it, but because of the care for people and wasn't able to do that as much as I needed to do and felt that I've been created to do. So yeah. that's my answer. Oof. And that's deep too. That's, uh, you know, one of my favorite rap artists name is called NF and he has a, this line in the song and he says, he says, church is where I found God but it's also where I learned to judge. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty profound. <laughs> and, and we've experienced that too. Hmm. So I'll let Tom share his story. No, I think I'll pass. This is an equal partnership. <laughs> we both sink or swim. You know, together, I'm, right? I'm going to go ahead and ask the next question. Anthony. <laughs> no. Um, so I'll start by saying this. Yesterday was a significant day for someone to tell it to. We had our first openly transgender person on our podcast. And so your episode will go live in two weeks um, right after this one that went, went, was put out 
late last evening. And we're proud of that because we listen to anyone. And that is at one of our core beliefs and core values. And I think your question evokes in me a reminder of how much we just want to love people and we want to be loved ourselves. I think that's what we're all yearning for. And anything that inhibits extending love and grace and care to people, we would probably say is not of God. I know my journey is a little bit different than Michael's. I didn't have the personal um, necessarily uh, inhibitors that Michael obviously does with his family and their situation. But I think the personal side of it for me was more of, of, again, probably like Michael's second half of his response about the bureaucracy. People in my first position, I've written about this. I was a youth minister at the same church, which is where Michael and I met. And so we could see, you know, talk, we love to talk about our faith and, and we could see God now having orchestrated just some redemption in some of the the situations that I was handed uh, fresh out of grad school. I took my first position as a youth minister and it was just a total train wreck. It didn't go well. I'm a very focused and driven person. It sounds like you are too. And I'm excited to ask you about that in a minute, but um, I had committed, I was going to kind of grind it out at this, this church for five years, even though it was not a good situation. Literally my second day on the job, one of the pastors, there were two pastors there, she came down and, and the youth room was down in this kind of moldy basement, uh, which is pretty common for a lot of youth rooms, I think. And she she came downstairs and, and she came into my office and literally the very first words out of her mouth was, there are two camps here and you need to pick and choose which camp you're going to be in between her and the other pastor. Wow. And my dad, who I, I grew up in a, a, a pastor's home uh, along with my three brothers, and I called my dad, and he just said that was one of the most unprofessional things he had ever heard in his entire career. And so just from the very beginning, things were just unsettled. Um, just I, It was just off, and I could, I could sense it was off. My relationship with the students and the youth ministry was awesome, uh, even just as a good example. Just recently, I was able to do a wedding for a girl who was not connected to church. Talk about not having fathering. She didn't have a father uh, to mentor her, and so I was able to just kind of journey with her. She got connected to our church and our youth ministry, and I just uh, was invited to lead her wedding a couple months ago, which was amazing. But... Um, I just had a heart for connecting with people. Uh, it didn't matter what they were dealing with. We're all dealing with something. And um, I know we've talked pretty openly about this, that sometimes in the religious world, we have a way of what we deem as being sinful choices or decisions. And we have a way of sometimes rating what we think is rating sin. You know, one sin is worse than another sin, as opposed to just we're all messy at times and we make mistakes and we're human um we're we often use the line that we're humans raised by humans raised by humans anyways i had started a youth program and it was really successful on friday evenings it was in this basement of uh of a pizza place that i i launched and we would have kids that were you know drug addicts or or drunk they would commit drunk and we would set up a bunch of tvs and just like gaming systems and it just started growing and it really took off and uh, we were reaching the people that I've always had a heart to reach. And in a bureaucratic system that didn't go over so well because I didn't, somebody once called me like a a cheetah attached to a plow that I just, I, I'm a go getter and I just want to see the world change for good. And so I didn't always necessarily take all the necessary protocols into account. And therefore it kind of 
cause some friction. So that's a long way of answering that. I think anything that stands in the way of loving people, sometimes I have issues with. Yeah, I hear you. I like that. Thanks for sharing those uh, stories. (laughs) We hope we we answered your question. Yeah, we could talk. We could talk for hours about this, but I I was going to say that you could. There could be a whole podcast series on this. (laughs) Yeah. About the you know and the follow up questions I have for those, that type of thing is very that's the type of that interests me a lot. I think and, that sometimes um, the church, just church in general, makes makes faith so much harder and much more complex than it needs to be. It yeah. really simply is about love. That's why we both went to school to be pastors. Yeah. We just want to love people yeah. and and show people that they are loved that they are worthy of love and, and help people and support them through their troubles, their brokenness and their pain and loss. And um, uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty simple, yeah. but yet sometimes religion has made it so much harder yeah. and made it so much just more difficult to do because of our rules and some regulations and our judgments so I've been excited to ask you this next question. So you seem like a very disciplined person. You seem very focused and driven. And if we remember correctly, what started us down that path of learning more about you is when you asked us about running. And uh, we were talking about hobbies and, and something Michael and I both do. We both love to run. And you, we had asked you, do you like running? And your response was something like, I don't like to run, but that is exactly why I run. We loved that response. So let's talk about pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones. Um, We know that one of your stated goals is to help people not simply exist, but to thrive. And tell us, what are some of your prescriptions for helping people thrive and and kind of push through your your comfort zone? And and it's relative to how people define thriving. But for me, how I define thriving is, in short, happiness. You know, there's a lot of elements that go into that. And one of the things I prescribe for like pushing outside of your comfort zone is self-mastery, right? A commitment to self-mastery. So I have to, I have to always be willing to self-analyze, right? And figure out how I'm going to try to become the best version of myself. And that's pushing myself. And usually when I come to these epiphanies, it's when I'm in a place of discomfort, right? It's when I'm pushing myself outside my comfort zone. It's when I'm going for a long run you know, with no headphones in on and just being with my thoughts. A lot of people are afraid to be with their own thoughts because they're afraid what they're going to say to themselves. They're afraid what's going to come out. And I have to be willing to sit with that. I have to be willing to do everything like that, that the saying, you know, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, I've been doing something lately called fear work. It's been really revealing for me personally like I'll, I'll write down, you know, just every day I'll, I'll write my journal. I'll write what I'm afraid of. And then immediately I'll write what evidence I have to disprove what I'm afraid of or to, or to tell myself why I shouldn't be afraid of this. What evidence do I have in my own life? And then immediately go into gratitude. What am I grateful for? And what I found, and I, and I went back and read it, my first three entries of my fear work. And in my first three entries, the first thing I wrote was a fear of being successful as an entrepreneur. Some of my fears. And you'll see when you do that, you, you will see the patterns develop. 
these were fears that were doubt that, that I didn't wouldn't have thought about unless I really actively sat and thought and wrote them down that were barriers in my in me being a successful entrepreneur because they were active in my subconscious. Mm-hmm. I feared that I wasn't going to be able to if I reached a certain level of success, I wasn't going to be able to sustain it. I was fearful that if I started a, a Facebook group and people started to really flock to me and depend on me that I was going to fall off and go to a bad point in my life. And then that was a big group of people who were going to be able to speak to my inconsistency. Right. Like I had these fears in my mind and then I had to, and then when I got to write like, Hey, why shouldn't I fear this? And I got to look at examples from my own life. And I said, you know what? I've always been dependable. I've always been somebody who my friends can count on and I've always showed up for them. So if I had a big community of followers, why would I not show up for them too? Right? Like I was able to combat my own fears, but I had to get outside of my comfort zone and face them first. And that was, and that was big for me. So you have to like self mastery is very important and self analysis when it comes to stepping outside your comfort zone. What's um, today's fear that you wrote down? <laughs> um, so I haven't done my fear work yet. So, <laughs> I, uh, so I'm going to do that. I'm interested to know what I'm going to, I never know what it's going to be when I, before I write it, like I never know what's going to come out. So I usually get up and uh, I usually get up, I meditate, work out and um, then eat breakfast, you know, while I listen to audiobook. So that, and, that was a humorous question, but like a, a, a more serious <laughs> question in response to what you just shared. So as someone to tell to you, we think it's really important to have people in your corner that are going to maybe help to debunk some of the lies that we tell ourselves and, you know, we don't, we don't tell people what to do at someone to tell to you. We just journey with each other. Mm-hmm. We call everybody someone. So you're someone, I'm someone, Michael's someone, we're all someone. I'm curious about the interplay of getting those thoughts down on paper, but then getting to the place where you're vulnerable with somebody else and telling someone else about those fears and having that support system to debunk some of those lies that we tell ourselves. What does that look like for you? One of the, the things that I have to think about when, I, when it comes to that is what kind of energy am I putting out into the universe? And so one of the things I also do is I try to every so often, and I'm going to start doing it every day actually, is reach out to somebody and let them know that I appreciate them and let them know why and putting that energy out into the universe every day and just simply letting somebody know I'm grateful for them and letting them know what, what I think their positive qualities are. All right. As a human being. And I think everybody needs to hear that every so often. And then when you put that energy out there, like that energy will come back to you. Mm. You know, if I tell my sister or something, I'm like, Hey, look, I think you're an amazing mom. I think that, you know, you work hard. Here's the things that I love about you. People at some point, they'll do the same for you. These things that you didn't know people thought about you, you're hearing them. It's, it's like we talked about vulnerability. When you're vulnerable, you give other people permission to do the same. When you put goodness out into the world and you just, you just express gratitude for people and who they are, and you're willing to give other people props for being amazing and it will come back to you as well. And you'll be like, man, I didn't even know you thought that about me. I didn't even, and, and like all these things that, you know, people start feeding you mm. with that, these good things, put it out into the universe. 
and and it'll come back to you. And it's not like it's not like I'm going out and just and I'm being fake about it. I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful for the sun and the moon and the stars and and the grass growing and the trees. It's like, what are you really grateful for in your life? Like, be specific and make it applicable to your life. And what do you really believe about yourself? And like, oh, like practice it. When you put good out, you'll get it back. When you um, you say that you when you write. Uh, in your fear journal, when you write the things that that that, uh, that are that make you fearful, are you and you don't know what's going to come out until it comes out? Right. Are you ever surprised by what comes out? I've always thought of myself as somebody who's pretty self confident, but the very first thing in that I knew that when I spoke, like I don't speak, I don't just try to like BS people. I try to speak from a place of experience and things that I feel like that I know based on my own experiences. But the very first thing, the very first time I wrote my fear journal, the very first thing that I wrote was that I fear people are going to think that I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. The very first thing I wrote didn't know that that was going to come out. Like I had this feeling inside of me that people are going to think I was a fraud. And I'm like, man, why would people think that? Why do I even think that? that? Where did that come from? It's like, you know, when you meditate, you know, what? the best thing I heard about meditation is like people always feel like they try to, they have to clear their mind, right? And, you know, I was watching that show on Netflix about meditation and he was saying, when you meditate, it's like imagine yourself sitting on the side of the road and you're like, you're, these cars are going by as your thoughts. And what you're doing is you're not chasing those cars, you're just watching them drive by. And just sitting with those thoughts and being okay with those thoughts, whatever comes out and not judging myself for them and not, you know, overanalyzing it, but say, hey, if this is something that I'm is inside of me, let me be comfortable with addressing it because it came from me. I don't want it to I don't want to try to get rid of it. I don't want to erase it. I don't want to ignore it. I want to address it because it came from me. And I need to deal with it. And that's the only way that I'm going to grow. It's like I said, when I'm running without headphones, people are fear, afraid of addressing their own thoughts because they're afraid of what's going to come out. That's what happens every time I write down in my fear journal. Like, I'm not, I, I want to know what's going to come out. Hmm. I'm excited about hmm. what's going to come out because I want to draw it out because then I get to deal with it. Right. And then I get to become better. Like, I love the process. You have to fall in love with the process of just digging up shit. Yeah. <laughs> you just got you to gotta love it. Yep. Yeah. When you said that the very first thing that came out was uh, that you feared was being a fraud, I think that one of my biggest fears in being in a church as a pastor was being seen as, was being, that I was a fraud. Mm. Or feeling like a fraud, that's 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 bit, that's tough stuff, and that's yeah. that's very serious. And and I do think that that the expectations that that we felt often in the church made us help to make us feel like frauds because we didn't we were supposed to act a certain way, and we didn't always f- feel that that way was right or good or wasn't us. You know, it wasn't authentic. And so that's, uh, with this, with what we do now, we believe that we can be pretty authentic. And, and that's, that's been certainly very liberating. 
I know for our listeners, they're going to probably get sick of me using this example, but I think it's a really good one as it actually comes from Brene Brown. And I, I used it we, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're invited to give a keynote address for it's called the International Listening Associations Conference. And I shared this example that Brene gave in one of her talks that she was speaking to a bunch of Fortune 500 CEOs at, at some conference that she was leading. And, and some CEO came up to her in the middle of a break and basically said, so you're basically saying I should tell all of our shareholders that we're, we're tanking as a company right now. And she, she laughed and she's like, now, if you want to have a company, you probably don't want to do that. But I would suggest that you have a couple people in your corner with whom you could, no pun intended, tell it to. And, um, and I know, especially as men, but just everyone, we just need to have people in our corner that, that we can tell those fears to. That what you've written down on the page, you can be open and authentic about and have somebody stand with you, be with you, be present, remind you that they're, they're probably not true. Uh, some of those things we tell ourselves, I know I've had to do it. Michael's had to do it over the years since we started someone to tell to as entrepreneurs. Uh, we needed to be reminded that there are times where it'll start with like a, you know, crappy email that we'll receive. And then the next thing I'm thinking, oh, that's going to, we're going to lose a, a significant contributor or a donor to, for someone to tell to as a result of this. And then it just snowballs. And the next thing I'm, I, I'm going to be on a street corner homeless, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and just be, being honest about that. Uh, with Michael, with my wife, with others, inviting people into that and just be like, that's not true. That yeah. is that is absolutely not true. And and if it were to be true, you know, we're going to be with you regardless of the outcome. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's just a, an important lesson we've had to learn. I think we had re- referenced uh, this is going to be a shameless p- plug for another podcast is called uh, How They Built This. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's with a, a, a guy named Guy Raz, who, who's an NPR affiliate, uh, National Public Radio. But it's become one of our favorite podcasts because it's just a bunch of entrepreneurs telling their story of the not everybody loves to hear the stories of the successes and the wins. People want to hear what, what's hard, what's scary, what's frightening, what's how have you been screwed, you know, along the way? Um, how have you overcome that? Um that that's the good stuff. That's the real stuff. Yeah. So Anthony, for our listeners, you lead a diversity and inclusion seminar. And, um, what are some of the, the principles you share to educate and inspire others? This is a really important topic. Well, that it doesn't, it's not train. It's not about necessarily training per se. I think cause people notice, people notice when something is not genuine. So if I'm doing a diversity, equity, and inclusion training every year because it's, it becomes a check-the-box kind of thing, it's not because we're trying to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive. It's what are we doing every day, right? And how, are, we, are, we really, are we doing this training or are we really deliberate about how we deliver it, right? And some of the, the things I, I talk about when we're talking about diversity is and I'm, talk, I'm telling people, like, diversity is not just about race, for one. Like diversity is is about socioeconomic background, religion, all types of things, you know, uh, gender, and it's about it's not about a color of a skin. It's more so about perspective um, than anything, and that um, there's a difference between being there's a difference between equity, um, you know, being equal and equitable, 
right? There's a difference between that. When it comes to inclusion, you know, if we're talking about inclusion specifically, one of the best things I heard about that is diversity is inviting people to the party, right? But inclusion is asking them to dance, hmm. right? So are you, are you asking people to dance? Are you, are you willing to grab somebody's hand and be like, hey, move with me, talk with me. Let me learn about how you move. Let me learn about what's different about the way we dance. What's different about the way you grew up. What's different about what you learned. On the and dance I'm, floor asking, why are you a therapist and what do you love about your job, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's, it's deeper than that. Uh, and when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have to be willing to get to know people down to, on the basic human level and being able to learn what makes us different and what makes us special to have those hard conversations. So how are you implementing that training? Are you just giving somebody a training and showing them a PowerPoint slide or are you engaging in an activity where people are getting to know each other? Mm -hmm. Right? Like what, how are you executing that? And, and I think people know if it's genuine based on your execution we're just going to put this out here. I mean, we're dealing with this at someone to tell to right now. We're an organization that prides ourselves on being inclusive. It's something we, we desire. It's a, a value that we're trying to bake into our culture and we have some work to do um, mm. around this. And we just, we don't want to have just a spin off a training. We want it to be a part of who we are. We want it to be a part of our DNA. Mm. So, you know, even our listeners who, uh, it's important for them to know that about us, that, um, you know, we're, we're uh, an organization, even though our value is that everybody's voice matters, we, we have to make sure that we're mindful of it and we're working towards it. And like everything else that we've talked about here today, it takes discipline. Who are you inviting to dance? That's right. right? Yeah. As we are, are talking today, um, uh, in, in Minneapolis, uh, there's, there's a lot of attention on a trial that, that that's happening. Um, the, you know, the trial uh, about the death of, of George Floyd. How how can <laughs> this is a big question? But as as someone who who talks about and and helps to lead people and models diversity and equity and inclusion. How, how can we as a, as a nation and, and, and within our political systems, within our, in our governmental systems, with you know, our bureaucratic systems, what, what needs to be done to, to, to really bake it in to the culture? What, what do we do about the, How can we help these kinds of things in, in this nation? Because we clearly have a problem. That's a heavy question, you know, and it, it's a, there's so many ways to attack it, I think. But I think there has to be work done on both sides. I think when we get into our discussions like this, people want to, people want to view it as just a problem that if it were being blunt, that, that white people need to address. And that's not a hundred percent the case. There are things happening on both sides that are hurting this issue. 
like one of the things you guys talk about, and we and you we talk about a lot is we talk about compassion. As a black man, I have to be willing to have compassion for a white man who is racist, who is overtly racist. Because just as I grew up in a in an area where that may have been discriminatory against me and and you know I've experienced discrimination and hate. Somebody who's racist grew up in a home where he was he or she was taught that. Right, so I have to have compassion that this may not necessarily be this person's fault. Is it their responsibility to to try to broaden their horizon? Yes, but is it necessarily their fault that they develop these beliefs? Somebody will be overtly racist, and then what is what is given back to them is more hate for who they are. Right, more hate and more judgment. But what I really need to do is I need to be compassionate and I need to talk to you and I need to understand where you come from. I need to ask you to dance. Hmm. I'm like, hey, let's learn about each other. And I'm not just going to hate you because, oh, now you're, oh, you're a racist, so now you're a bad person. Because there's a racist individual out there who goes home and takes care of his family, hmm. who does work within his, his community or her community but they've been taught these hateful beliefs. There's a lot of work to be done. And it starts with the basic, the, because like I said, this is something we could, you could do a whole series on as well. Yeah. But it starts with the basic groundwork of like what you guys are trying to do is just love people. Yeah. Just love people, make an effort. Everyone has a story. You can't help but love someone once you know their story. Yeah. It starts with, starts with listening. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Pensy. We are volunteers at Wonders Found Thrift Shop and proud sponsors of the Someone to Tell It To podcasts. Wonders Found is a totally volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We also support local missions and people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, mountcalvaryumc.org backslash wonders found, or stop in to see what wonders you will find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard. God bless. Well, you use the word compassion. It's one of our favorite words. Compassion means a lot to us. And you've stated that you, you like to treat every person you meet with care and compassion. That, uh, that whenever you're talking with someone, you, you need to do it through that lens with them. And, and we love that. We absolutely love that value and that approach. And that's another one of the things that, that uh, attracted us to you and, and uh, helped us, you know, helped us to resonate so strongly with you because it's a value that we try to do too, however imperfectly, but it's something that we, we try to implement all the time. And, and we as males in particular, we've had a lot of talk about we as males today, are not, yeah. are, are, are not always taught or modeled uh, 
to be compassionate because it's, it might be seen as, as weak or as soft. It's something we strive to, to share and to talk about. And the, 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 the compassion, care, empathy, those, if we, those are traits we all need to possess. We all have masculine and feminine energy inside of us. Like we've been talking about, and what I said when it comes to, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone is you have to be deliberate about your personal growth and development, right? And if you do that, you'll understand it'll give you this different perspective. You'll be able to see things every, you'll be able to take every situation in your life and look at it from a, a, a new angle or another perspective and a broader perspective. Like even if I'm, when we hit, when we we're parenting our children, my son does very, does things that you're like, all right, what are you doing? That like, just would just piss you off all the time, right? And he's always like crossing the line. He's always right on the line or trying to cross over and test the boundaries. As a parent, it's frustrating. But if I'm looking at this from the right perspective, it it will allow me to be more compassionate than I would if I just was approaching it with this closed-minded approach as a parent. Like kids should just behave. All right. That's not a, that's not realistic and reasonable. All right. I'm looking at my nine year old son. And if I had the right perspective, then I'd be able to look at my own. I'd be able to look at my 16 year old, 18 year old, 25 year old. So I'm like, look at the dumb shit I did when I was these ages. How can I even possibly expect my son, my nine year old son, not to do quote unquote dumb things. Hmm. All right. Or to behave in a way that's like immature. Yep. All right. Yeah. It's, unreasonable for me to expect that as a father. And if I take that approach, then I can have more compassion for my son. Right. And I can, I can, I can handle that situation with love and care. And I, I, I coach my son in football and that's a cesspool of toxic masculinity. Right. Of youth football, right. Where men are, you have fathers out there who are, have no kind of care or compassion or, you know, for what their kids are going through in youth sports. So I'm the dad out there. Like, you know, I see dads all the time. Their kid gets hurt and they're like, shake it off. You know, you're not, you're fine. You're hurt. You're not hurt. You're not, you're okay. And this kid's like crying because <laughs> he's eight years old. <laughs> and, and you got these dads who are just like teaching them to be tough. You know, be a man. He's not a man. He's eight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, my son gets hurt. I'm like, I'll pull my son off the, the side. I'm like, I'm, I'm massaging his leg. I'm like, are you okay? Like, you good? Flexing him, stretching him, you know? All right, if you're good, let's get, let's get back in there. But if you're really hurt, let's take you out and, and, and address it. All right, we're not going to, we're not going to play this game of like trying to teach you to be tough when you don't have to be. Let's have some fun just to end our time together today. Uh, okay. Just to, um, I like fun. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things we've done previously with some of our guests, we'd like to just throw out some random questions, and it'll be quick. It'll be kind of rapid fire. But let, how about all three of us answer the questions today? Uh, let's just have some fun to get together. So, what's something right now for your, for all of us that uh, makes us laugh? What's what's something that's made us laugh recently? I'm going to start because I had more time to think about this. So <laughs> last night with my kids, my kids, uh, we're, we're working our way through on Netflix. There's this, this just hilarious program called Nailed It. 
don't know if you've heard of it. And it's like these terrible bakers get on and, and, uh, they just, they can't bake at all, but they just, they have a good time and, and it just makes us laugh. So we watched another episode last night and it's just, it's just, it's just literally on the floor laughing. My kids like that show. Um, I'm, you know, I'm big on like, I, I like, I'm a big fan of Dave Chappelle and I, and I'll yeah. go back and watch Dave Chappelle stand-ups. You know, I could I could watch them over and over. <laughs> so that's something that always, you know, I can go back to. If mm-hmm. I need to laugh, I can go watch a Dave Chappelle stand-up. Yes. <laughs> and that'll do it for me every time. <laughs> um, there's a little, I don't, I don't even know what you want to call it, and it's hard to, I, it's really hard to describe. But with my son, um, who can't talk, uh, who um, you know was very very challenged intellectually and physically, um, but he's got the he's got the brightest smile when he's happy about something. His smile it's awkward as anything, but it it melts my heart. And and when I can make him laugh, uh, when I can play you know with him or or make sounds and get close to his get close to him and make some sounds and tickle him a little bit he will laugh uproariously and it makes me laugh too uh, because there's some kind of connection and, and every t- even when he's distressed and I do that to him for with him he'll, he'll laugh he'll stop being distressed and when I tickle him uh, and get close to him and, and do that he he just really responds in a way that brings utter joy to my heart and it makes me laugh too so. that's awesome Okay, another question. So, what's uh, what's one thing that we're we're doing right now to break through a comfort zone? Hmm. I'm trying to think of something we haven't discussed already. I'm going to put one out there. Um, we've just literally been talking about this with our executive leadership team. At someone to tell to you is just knowing um, and continuing to work on, uh, on vulnerability as leaders. What does that look like? So that's, it's not always, it, let's just put it the way, this way. It's, it's uncomfortable sometimes to be honest and authentic, but we have to, we have to break through that, that comfort zone that we've constructed that box. Um, I talked to you guys about before we started about me rebranding, um, mm-hmm. you know, completely switching changing up where I'm, my direction of my business and that's uncomfortable <laughs> uh an uncomfortable thing to think about but as I, as I also told you guys you know I'm just I have to be willing to do whatever it takes I feel like this is the route that I need to go and I'm feeling it and I'm passionate about it then I gotta go I gotta try it um you know I don't want to look back and say man I wish I would have done this or wish I would have tried that Good for you. Yeah, that's uncomfortable. It's awesome. Within the last few months, Tom and I, as leaders of this organization, have had to have some difficult conversations with some pe- several people, uh, meaning that we're going to make some changes. We're going to move on. We're going to, um, you know, do some things differently because of our growth and because of uh, the need to do to do that. And um, those. Entering those conversations is always stressful and, and uncomfortable. 
Yeah. But so far, mm. but on the other hand, so far, every single one of them has gone really well. Every single one. And we even, we just had one two days ago and um, it could not have gone better. So uh, we embrace are confronted the uncomfortableness and just leaned in and did what we had to do as leaders and it was it's not easy but gosh you know i we we i hope we were gracious and and diplomatic and and you know sensitive and 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 as you said you know you put it out there and it does come back you know it does come back when when you um again approach people with care and compassion no matter what you have to say or no matter what you have to talk about it it absolutely makes a difference yeah. and we found that to be the case and so i'm grateful for that uh grateful for each one of those uh, situations that have turned out so well even though they were hard to go into all right the last question anthony is just for you <laughs> what what inspira- inspirational words would you like to leave with everyone watching and listening today? Inspirational words I'd like to leave with everyone. I would say that, because I think this is something that maybe we all um, struggle with, is it's not to give up on yourself. Everybody goes through, everybody has times where they're functioning at a high level and where they're not where they're up and then where they're down. The fact that you're still here, if you're able to listen to this and you're functioning, you're, you know, you're in decent health or you're, you know, or at least you can, you have the ability to get back in decent health or decent shape if you, if you're not right to not give up on yourself. Like everybody who you look at and you see that is successful or doing, or you seem seemingly doing well, they have, they've got, they've been through traumatic experiences. They, they've had low points. They've had, you know, anxiety, stress, depression, they've dealt with those things or are dealing with them currently and you just don't see it. So don't be swayed by what you see on social media and, and on the internet. And what, you know, even if somebody has a a nice house or a nice car, that person could have a nice house, nice car and be in thousands of dollars of debt. Just run your race. Right. And, and, and do not give up on yourself (laughs) because you never know what some the next person uh, is going through or what they're experiencing, no matter what it seems or looks like. And, you know, m- even me, myself included, go through ups and downs. But I had to wake up every day and say, okay, every day is a new day. I get to start again. Do not give up on yourself. There is a, if, if you are determined and deliberate about it, better days are coming. Yep. Just keep running. That's right. Yeah. Well, this has been the best. Yeah. Thank you. Anthony, this, this, this time went by so quickly. We could, again, keep talking. We could probably record enough for, you know, five or six podcasts. Five uh, or six seasons or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much, so much to say. I appreciate that, man. You guys are awesome. I love chatting with you guys. Thanks. This will be the first of many. Yeah, we hope yeah. so. As we mentioned uh, in the interview and in the conversation today, we, as we record this, we're literally just, you know, a a few days in the trial uh, about the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it's uh, certainly a trial that's, um, you know, taking the attention 
of a lot of people in this nation as we as a, a nation struggle with how to, you know, how to see other people as equal, see other people as, as, as human beings just like ourselves. And how do we, you know, how, how do we treat one another? and view one another in this world and in this life that we're all in together. And this trial is, is, is a pivotal one for this nation as you know, we look at, at violence that was done. And, and as, you, as you heard from, from Anthony, he thinks that, 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 that both sides bear some responsibility for overcoming this problem. In this country and I think that those are wise words that that he said and we just aim uh, with someone to tell it to 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 be a, a model for how we treat one another how we get along how how we see one another um, even when we don't know one another but how we look at one another as human beings you know we're two white men we obviously didn't want one question to just be this kind of token question that we ask a black man about the current events, but we just feel a special connection with him that we can be honest and open ourselves. And this is something we care deeply about as he does. And and we hope all of you listening do too. We started the conversation, let's put it that way, by asking this question of him today. But we know that there's so much more to talk about some of these systemic issues that we as individuals, we, each one of us, has to address in our own hearts and in our own lives. So thanks for, for being with us today. Thank you for journeying with us. We know that this conversation delved into some deep matters, and there's going to be extended portions of this conversation that you may not hear if you're, if you're tuning in through the podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. So we encourage you to head over to our Patreon page in the upcoming weeks, we are going to be adding some extra bonus footage, and there's extended conversations that we have with Anthony that took place prior to even recording and, and afterwards. And so we would love for you to go there, learn more about Someone to Tell To. You can go to our website, someonetotelltoo.org. So thanks again, Anthony Johnson. What a gift to us today. So until we listen again. <laughs>